The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Gir Gia, was born in 1960 in Reykjavik, Iceland. He began developing his own philosophy as a child, and instead of college, decided instead to become a fisherman on Icelandic trawlers. When he was 20, he experienced a severe four-story fall onto cement, which triggered a near-death experience and left him comatose for 10 days. What he experienced during those 10 days opened up a whole new dimension of understanding. Gear says it revealed to him the ultimate meaning of life itself. Following his recovery, he studied computer science and has worked in IT throughout his career, but he still used all his spare time to study everything he could find relating to religion and ancient myths, searching for insights that could match the revelation he experienced. Later, he began to focus on the metaphor of both the Bible and the Icelandic sagas as he found relationships between the symbolic stories and his own experience. He started word by word and sentence by sentence to analyze the text and soon found the connection between his own experience and the metaphor of the Bible. In 2013, Gear moved to Canada, where he married his remarkable wife, Susan. Today, he is the author of I is God, The Journey Begins, the first of five volumes, taking a deep dive into the world of religion and spiritual understanding. Gear, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, and uh, I'm happy to be on your uh, show. Well, we're we're happy to have you, Gear. Gear, you've said you were interested in a deeper understanding of reality when you were still a child. Uh, tell us about that. The reason was that uh, when I was very young, like I say, uh, like I talk about in the in the book, that people were talking about the weather and uh, how the sky was blue and beautiful. And this question stuck in my mind, who said the sky was blue? Mm. And from there, I start to like analyze everything in, in this perspective. Who, who is the, who is, who, what is the cause of all this? Who is the, what is the reason for all this? Mm. Did you ask your parents for explanations or did you just try to think it out for yourself? Well, I tried to uh, ask for explanations, but I soon realized that I wouldn't have any answers. <laughs> so I had to uh, explore myself. Yes. Well, Gear, let's move on to the time you were 20 and you had this terrible fall. How did you happen to fall four stories onto concrete? <laughs> like it, like it says, it's, it's an accident. And uh, was it from a building or from a ship? Yeah, from. From a building or, or outside of a building. Wow. Was it from a window or were you outside working on the building? Uh, from a window. Wow. Uh, that's that's quite an amazing thing that you survived that. And then you were in the hospital and in a coma for for ten days. Uh, yeah, tell, but tell, there, there was all, there was also um, the thing is when I was on the way down. Uh, it's, it was like time stood still and mm. I could look around because I was like stuck in the uh, middle of the air 
and I could realize all these circumstances and I knew exactly that there was concrete beneath and I could, it was like I could have, uh, I was given time to adjust to what was going to happen. And then seconds later, it was like, uh, you know, I hit the ground. Mm-hmm. But I didn't lose consciousness. I was conscious until the uh, ambulance came. And when, right. when I was in, in the hospital, I decided to lose consciousness. Ah. Now, when did, when did you have your uh, near-death experience? Was it, uh, was it when you were um, unconscious? Yes, then I was in uh, intensive care mm-hmm. for 10 days. And uh, in that state... And, and what, and what did you see when you, when you were having your NDE? I mean, what was the experience itself like? It was similar to when I was on the, on the way, uh, down in the, in the fall. I was like, uh, in a timeless space or vault. It was more like a vault. For the first, I was like mesmerized by the size of this vault. And, uh, you know, when I was staring at it, I began to realize that or what it was that was all around me and above me. And this world was really the whole universe. And uh, all these interconnected signs and symbols, they started to expose themselves as the structure of my mind. Just like a tree, you know, with its branches that reaches for the sky. Mm. So I knew that it was all connected together, but these words combined was my mind. And you felt that the um, those connections were just natural to to the human brain, or was it something bigger than that? No, what I what I realized was that our consciousness is an independent entity outside our mind. We access our consciousness. And when we open our eyes in the morning we are opening up our mind. Because when we are sleeping, for example, we are not in touch with ourselves. And it's like um, the child, when it's young, it's playing by itself. It doesn't know anything about itself. It's not until later that it realizes what the word, word I means and it becomes to the senses of itself. Mm. So it's like when you sleep a, a dreamless night, you are nowhere. And like before your first memory as a child, you are nowhere. Do you uh, know in, in your book you refer to oblivion? Is that the equivalent of of nowhere? Yeah, it's it's similar, but. The thing is, uh, like in the book, I'm talking about the state of oblivion. Is uh, Oblivion is you're, you're aware of things, but you're not conscious of them. Mm-hmm. And that, that is exactly the state of the child before it gains consciousness. And oblivion is the, the Garden of Eden. Because, uh. in the gar- because in the Garden of Eden and also in, the, in oblivion, there is no responsibility. You know, we, we have no, uh, and there is no time, there is no space, because you have no idea what it is. Mm. 
Well, of course, in the traditional Garden of Eden, there was one responsibility, and that was to uh, not disobey God. Yeah, but but you're yeah, but, using it as a metaphor for something else. Yeah, I'm 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 building. Um, I my my intention is to understand this because behind all writing, it doesn't matter how old they are, there was a thought, and this thought came from men. There were men that wrote this, so they had some idea of what they were writing, but. When I started to analyze this, these words, the first word I, I was like interested in was the tree itself. And if you take the tree as a cause or a reason, and you say that the earth is your awareness and the sky is your mind, then the tree is a reason that has its roots in your awareness and the branches, its consequences. They reach for your sky, reach for the sky, also reach for your mind. So from this this metaphor or, or understanding this, I started to connect other words to this understanding, which led to the to the uh, this first book, which is about or there there I'm writing or talking about the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden is really the frame of oblivion. Because the baby, just like we have only a frame of consciousness, our consciousness is not what is happening in China. It's just what is happening around us. It's the mm-hmm. same with the frame of oblivion. It is what's happening around the kid. But the child doesn't have an idea what it is. It is observing. So in the beginning, we are observers of everything, and we do it by ourselves. When you were seeing these lines, when you were um, going through your NDE, did you make the um, comparison to the tree? Or did did anyone uh, did you see uh, another being, or did you have a feeling that you were getting information, uh, uh, explanation, I should say, of the of the, what the lines meant? What I understood uh, there was a voice without a face but this voice was like whispering from all the branches of these lines but these lines formed a tree so there was like a root of all these lines mm-hmm. and I began to understand that all the all the branches was like the structure of my mind but the tree itself was the word I. And what were, what were the branches saying to you? The symbols, the symbols were telling me that words, which are also thoughts, is the only reality of the human being. And the human being cannot reside anywhere else but in words. Because words they bring spirit and they bring life. Mm. And there is a, there is a, uh, and the main reason for all, all words to be recognized is this singularity, this one word that everything else recites on. Because if we don't understand what the word I means and what it stands for, we are not conscious. 
But the minute we understand what it means, we gain consciousness. But the consciousness is already here. It's not that we brought something with us. We are accepting the consciousness of ourself. Right. It's like, you know, the people or like they're talking about that the consciousness um, like leaves, like we, we leave the the body or out of body experience. Mm-hmm. When we go to sleep, we are we are out of consciousness. We are not conscious. We are not conscious of ourselves. So what this re- was revealing to me was that there is one self and one consciousness. And we are like reflections of this one self and one consciousness. That's why it doesn't matter which color you are or race or, or where you're born. It doesn't matter. We all have access to the same self. And this self, we know that, like I described in the book, life itself becomes ourself by the recognition of the word I. Because the word I represents ourself. Why do you suppose there are so many branches intertwined and weaving into one another and out of one another and roots that do the same thing? Uh, Why isn't it just a direct channel from the earth to the heaven? Because uh, the, the the branches are representing so the many fields of our uh, consciousness. That's why in the in the in the stories they are going from country to country. They are going from different fields in our consciousness. Our consciousness is built up, like it's mentioned in, for example, the Revelation book. There are four winds of heaven or four winds of earth. And in the book, I'm talking about, they, they mention it when they are talking about that there is a pond that is streaming from Eden. And there are four rivers, four mm. streams. And these streams symbolize the same as four winds. And wind is an inspiration. And these four imp- inspirations are philosophy, science, culture, and art. And this is what molds us, these inspirations coming from the four realms of ourself, which resides outside. It's already outside us. It's not that we, so death is only, it's, it's sleep. We can sleep just like every night, like, like the disciples, they ask Jesus. So if that's the case, don't we die every night? You say in the beginning of your book, the word I is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And, um, of course, that's how we define, or Jesus defined God, basically. Um, why, how is that, how do you understand that as being encapsulated in the word I? Everything starts and ends with the word I. The minute you are aware of it, you're conscious. The minute you are unaware of it, you're unconscious, so it's like at the beginning of the end. Mm. But you're not but, saying. But, the, you're, you're but not. the thing is, in the in the, you know, the word I identifies itself, and it becomes yourself. But before, it talks about that the spirit of the word I is looming over the water. So he is, you know, over the waters. 
which is your life emotion. So mm. Jesus as the spirit of the word I. And then there is God as I. Right. And and, 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 and the word I is, is like, it's unbreakable. It's uh, undeniable. We cannot lie to ourselves. And, and, and the spirit of the word I represents ourselves. We cannot lie to ourselves. It's the same thing as we cannot forgive ourselves. It is only ourselves that can forgive us. And people who have experienced that, they know exactly what I'm talking about because the relief that comes with, with that is, is, is uh, unbelievable. It's very easy to say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive myself. You have no idea where you're gonna turn to do that. Mm. When most people think of I, they think in terms of their own ego, of their individual bodily existence. It's a much smaller vision than what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, the, well, uh, soon I realized that there was something uh, odd with this word God and, and the word Lord. But later I understood that we use, like you say, we use the word I when I, when, you know, I am going to go to the store, I am going to do this or I am going to do that. That's our personal, personal, uh, I when we are referring to what, what we're going to do or something like that. And we talk about, uh, I'm doing this for myself, but that's why they created the word God to distinguish this one eternal I from your I, this everyday common I we use. And then they created the word Lord to distinguish the one self from this little self we, we use in every day. Mm-hmm. So as you're moving from youth to adulthood, from oblivion to uh, an awareness, um, you're also moving, I take it, from more of an animal existence to uh, to a uh, spiritual existence. You and I had a conversation on the phone the other day when you were, we were talking about the, the um, Sumerian story of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh was a half man, half god, you said, and his friend Enkidu was half man, half animal. Mm-hmm. And uh, an equivalent, um, my wife pointed out, is um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was uh, was the equivalent of Gilgamesh. Esau, who was a, described as a hairy man who liked to go hunting and provided meat for his father and all of that was more of a, a of an animal man type. Mm-hmm. So this is a parallel that seems to run from uh, Sumerian to, to uh, Judeo-Christian uh, theology. What? How does that uh, does that evolution take place for everybody, or is it just something that uh, some people experience? So, just like everybody enters the the Garden of Eden, everybody has to leave. Uh, about Jacob and Esau, um, as I see it, Jacob is the spirit of attention, but Esau is the spirit of the observer. And the spirit of the attention is is surely going to take the so-called birthright 
of the of the observer. It's it's just describing in details what happens when the observer, as we are as child children, has to give in for the attention because the attention becomes stronger. And they are both hunters because they are they are everywhere. You know, they are all around and everywhere. When you talked about the tree, were you thinking about the tree in Eden? Were you thinking about the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life? The the, the tree of life and the tree of uh, understanding of good and evil is the same tree. Hmm. I I think that myself. It's interesting that in the... uh, I don't know about your Icelandic Bible, but in our Bible, it says that both trees, they describe both trees as being in the middle of the garden. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't, you can't have two trees in the same spot unless it's the same tree or, or unless they have totally intertwined, like apple trees will wrap around one another. So, yeah. uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I, I know what you mean by that. And the thing is that, the thing is that there is a lot of difference between the old Bibles and modern Bibles. For example, uh, in modern Bibles, Cain is supposed to kill Abel. In the old Bibles, he dismays him. There is no mention that he kills him. And there is really? a lot of there is a lot of difference understanding what what this is about. When when you on the for the uh, in the old old text, and then again, the Icelandic language is so detailed and rich. In the in the descriptions, um, it's it's really hard to to put the full understanding of the Icelandic language into English language when you're translating this, mm. because one word can describe so you know a, a, a huge thing, but you would have to write maybe one or two sentences in English to describe the same thing, and that's that's. You know that that was the most difficult thing in in all this, but uh, uh, but the old Bibles are very detailed in what this is what is happening in in every story. So, so how would you say the Icelandic Bible differs, say, from the King James Bible? From the King James? Yeah, is the content different, or is it just the yeah. power of the words? Yeah, you know, it's mainly the the words themselves are are different i don't know i don't know how best is to describe the uniqueness of of the icelandic language um, but as as i have always uh, seen it or or looked at it that this this uh, understanding uh, will not be made through uh, another language. Mm. I would think Icelandic would be somewhat similar to medieval German, say, or or, or old English, um, middle middle aged English, which is uh, much more guttural and has a richer sound. And I think the imagery was probably more powerful too. Although I'm not a, an expert on it. No, they have they have these. Uh, for example, Icelandic, the or the older Icelandic, it's not used as commonly today. But like when I was young, 
there were a lot of words that I was I was totally mesmerized by, and I was like hooked on on crossword puzzles because mm-hmm. I found them very interesting. And in these uh, puzzles, there were there were so many words I learned. So I I I understood that okay, so this word has the same meaning as other words. And later, when I was like analyzing the text of the Bible, this helped me a lot. Wow. If it's okay with you, I would like to carry this on to a discussion in next week's show where we might be able to um, discuss, for example, in this first of your five books that you're planning to write, you're dealing with uh, Genesis. I would love to explore the different stories, the Noah's flood and so forth, and how you see that as a metaphor for the human condition. I'll put it that way, I guess. It might, might not be exactly the right way to frame it. Because what you're doing is interpreting, almost in a psychological way, the, the writing of the Bible, as, as I understand it from your first book. Would you like to go on and do that for next week's show? Yep, no problem. Think about one thing, because you were talking about the flood of Noah. Yes. How many went into the ark, and how many went out of the ark? Well, there were eight people, supposedly, on the ark. Uh, I don't know how many came off. Could they have had babies in the meantime or something like that? No. no. Pay attention to that when they enter the ark, the Lord is supposed to close the door, right? Yes. Was he outside or was he inside? Or was he both? (laughs) (laughs) These are exactly the details that the Icelandic language describes so well. So when you you understand the language and the words, and that the, that one word can have three, four brothers or sisters, mm-hmm. meaning the same uh, same meaning, then you start to realize that things are not exactly what they seem. And the, in uh, in the for example in the Revelation book, which is uh, is my last book, it says. This is for the one who reads in the text. It doesn't read the text, but reads like like we say between the lines. You know what is really what what is really in the text. So in 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 uh, modern language that would be metaphor or allegoria. Yes. Because like I said, they knew what they were doing, and there is no way that civilizations that built pyramids and and, and all this stuff that they didn't know what they were doing. No, and they understood the power of word, too. Gear, we're out of time for today's show, but okay. uh, let's continue this conversation, uh, if that works for you. Thanks for being with us today. Folks can listen to this or other past shows by going to our website and hitting the past shows button. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.